Okay, so welcome to a new episode on the solar journey. I am Thorsten Brammer and our guest today is Andreas Benson. Welcome, Andreas. Thank you, Thorsten. Great seeing you. Yeah. So Andreas is the co-founder and the CTO of Otovo. That's a Norwegian company which is not less than building the energy company of the future. Uh, distributed, digital and disruptive, as they say. So uh, we'll learn more about Otovo more later, but just to give you an idea, uh, Otovo operates a marketplace for installation of solar modules on private homes. The, so they address the so-called residential market. So uh, solar um, with a few kilowatts. Uh. Andreas has been with Otovo for more than six years and uh, yeah, he holds a PhD in solar cell technology from the University of Oslo in Norway. And he worked as a researcher at the Norwegian Institute IFE, IFE. And this is actually during this time when we both met for the first time uh, at some conference. I think, uh, Andreas, it was in Osaka, Japan, 2003. Yeah, and uh, we both saw your uh, famous colleague Daniel Wright playing the uh, Japanese drums like a crazy man. <laughs> good memories. Uh, good memories, yeah. Um, yeah, he... Andreas took his initial career steps with REC, um, where he climbed the ranks from a project manager to VP of technology. REC was and still is a big brand in the, in the solar industry. Um, yeah, it was originally a Norwegian company, fully integrated from silicon to solar modules. Um, today, today REC belongs to an to an Indian company, Indian group, uh, the Reliance Group. Yeah, and uh, before co-founding Otovo, Andreas was also for some time self-employed. He ran his own consultancy company, uh, worked for another Norwegian management consultancy uh, company. So in summary, Andreas is a senior solar cell specialist, seasoned manager with a technology and business-oriented mindset. And, uh, and uh, yeah, his solar journey started almost 20 years ago. And uh, we'd love to learn more about you, Andreas, why you got started in uh, solar and, of course, later on, uh, what Otovo is doing. So how did you get, why did you get started in solar? Tell me, tell us. Great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the introduction, Thorsten, and, um, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I started in solar 2001, I think, so more than 20 years ago. And, and to me, it was sort of like um, realizing that there's a lot of things you can do within technology, uh, but there's a few things you can do that really helps the world move forward. And solar energy is uh, it's not only an interesting technology and as a scientist, interesting, you know, even material science is also both commercially and socially an interesting topic. Uh, so for me, it was sort of this combination of technical interest uh, and the good that solar could do uh, that maybe jump onto the solar uh, ship and has yeah has kept me on it uh, since for the last 20 21 yeah. years yeah so, so was there a special event um that drove you towards solar um uh, was the first uh, interaction with with solar it could have been Not really i think the first uh, uh 
it, to me, it was just a possibility of of uh, of doing a PhD within uh, social materials and sciences that got me thinking about the topic and made me interested in in, uh, in trying and applying for the position and and uh, and I got it. And I think one of the first things I did, uh, or one of the early things I did, I remember I was in a solar conference in Rome, I think, in either two thousand and one or two thousand and two, and uh, and at that time, the solar industry, as you know, was very small, right? Uh, even on European uh, scale, it was a bit of a startup uh, scene, if you will. And, and I got struck by how big it was, right? We were several hundred attendees, which felt for me like, wow, there's so many people working on solar. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, as the years goes uh, and all the conferences we've been to together, it's been tens and thousands of people. So um, I think I... Um, I got drawn into this opportunity of joining an industry at an early stage, and 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 um, yeah, that, that got me uh, interested in staying on. Uh, and it's it's what I've been doing in my entire adult life essentially. So um, I'm quite uh, quite locked into solar. Yeah. So were there points in 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 time where you th where you thought, well, this is it? I have to go to a different industry, or I don't like it anymore, or it's not interesting anymore, or What kept you in that industry for such a long time? Yeah, I think um, I think the years between the early 2000s and and the mid 2010s essentially is um, it's an industrial life cycle over the period of 10 to 15 years. Right? Mm. It's uh, it's from its uh, infancy or its early stage of building up uh, manufacturing capacity through a Uh, technology boom, an industrial boom, uh, huge growth in the industrial uh, space in Europe, uh, through to sort of commoditization and and uh, and almost death of the industry, at least on a European scale, right? Uh, mm. The manufacturer sites uh, shut down. And I think to me that was an interesting learning. You learn so many things in solar over those 10 to to 15 years that in many other industries, it takes you a lifetime uh, to learn um, the importance of being ahead of the curve, you know, in terms of understanding where the industry is going uh, next. Um, I think many industrial uh, companies in Europe at the end of the first decade on the 2000s got surprised how quickly the market changed, market condition changed. Um, starting thinking about cost reductions before you have to, those kind of things, right? I think most people in solar didn't realize in 2009, 2010 that, you know, uh, skinnier days are coming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, when, when you look back, so what was the, the most fascinating, since, since you can look back uh, like 20 years in, in that industry, which has changed so dramatically, is there a, one thing that you would say that surprised you most or which you find most in fascinating? Um, I think at least from a technology development perspective, I think it's extremely fascinating to see and have learned how far you can go with um, sort of the current state of the technology uh, through incremental improvement or improvements through operational excellence, tuning your existing technology, if you will, um, I think that worked and took us a lot longer than we thought, you know, especially as a technologist working on new processes, new products. Um, 
I got surprised about how far we could go with the existing technology. Um, and I think that's a learning point as well, right? How, how much improvement there is to do on what you're currently doing versus taking that next step uh, to, towards that new game changer technology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last few years saw a um, massive change. Um, you know, we moved away from the aluminum back surface field so, uh, solar cell. And now then there was PERC and PERC is all now almost old fashioned. Uh, we talk about Topcon heterojunction finally and uh, very first small um, attempts to bring perovskites into into the, the into the uh, into the market so th that that's personally for me the most uh, fascinating thing that suddenly uh, things were possible that were only developed in the laboratory and never never ever made it to into, into the industrial scale and now suddenly it's it's there and uh, has changed the production environment totally yeah Yeah, I agree. And this is interesting to see because, as you say, now you're seeing products on the market that we worked on in the laboratory 15 years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. And there's huge changes now. If you go um, back to what we were offering in the market in Otovo, um, you know, you don't have to go more than three or four years ago since we were still selling polysilicon uh, or multicrystalline uh, modules. Uh, now, yeah. That's not available on the market anymore, right? And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's crazy how fast that went. The the change in technology, yeah, in the last yeah. few years. So you mentioned Otovo. Um, you're buying modules, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, give us an introduction. What is uh, what is Otovo doing? How do you make money? Yeah. Uh, All right. Absolutely. So we started Otovo in. Uh, we started out in two, 2015, Launched in 2016. sixteen. Um, The idea was to make it easier for homeowners to go solar. I think what we uh, saw was a few trends. One, um, there's huge room for growing uh, residential solar in Europe, uh, but there's some obstacles uh, for consumers to doing, the, uh, doing that. Uh, first of all, making it easier for them to make that decision by you know, uh, demystifying the shopping process or the buying process. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, democratizing it by offering funding uh, solutions where you don't have to necessarily pay up front. You can uh, lease your system and, and rather have a monthly uh, fee. So we sort of wanted to go into this to, uh, to make it easier for people to make that decision of, of going solar. And once they have made that decision uh, to reduce the barrier of, of, of getting it installed. Um, that's one part of it. And the other thing that we realized was that You know, um, up until very recently, hardware prices have been going down and down gradually and quite, uh, quite a lot uh, over the years. Uh, and as hardware prices fall, more and more of uh, the investment cost or the system cost is the softer uh, cost parts. Uh, cost of sales, cost of marketing, cost of labor. Um, um, so you wanted to address that. Uh, make the total investment lower to uh, the customer by reducing the soft cost portions of, uh, of a solar installation. Uh, so those were sort of the two problems that we wanted to address. Uh -huh. Okay. So it's a demystifying, uh, the, the, let's say, technology, um, provide easier funding and um, work on the soft, soft cost part. 
what do you mean exactly by demystifying? What, 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 what did you observe in the market and yeah. how do you solve it? At least when we entered uh, uh, Norway in 2015, uh, getting an offer for a residential solar system uh, meant you had to uh, talk to, you know, 10 different uh, electricians or handymans. The offer they gave you all were different, different components, different hardware, uh, prices all over the place. Uh, so as a homeowner, to compare those offerings was really difficult. Uh, how do I know if I want to have that manufacturer on the module or this manufacturer on the module? Um, how can I know if this is a good uh, solution for, for me and a good price? It was very hard to compare offers. Uh, so we wanted to, we wanted to, to make that simpler. Um, um, and the way we have done that and uh, approach a problem is to uh, create more of a marketplace approach uh, to, to buying solar where uh, we find the customers, we, uh, we take the customer through the sales journey by providing the relevant information such as the savings that they can get, uh, you know, the carbon footprint improvements they can do by, by installing solar on the roof and matching them with local installers uh, on our platform to make sure that we offer them the best possible price uh, with a local and, and qualified uh, electrician or installer company that serves uh, their area. Um, mm -hmm. So we have now more than 500 installers on the platform throughout Europe. Uh, we have helped more than 10,000 homeowners go solar uh, in the last uh, five years. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it, 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 it proves that it works quite well. Um, that there's a, was a gap in the market for this type of, uh, of uh, solution. Excellent. So uh, do you do the sourcing for your um, listed installers? So you have, th th that's your, one of your core um, services that you provide. Actually, we don't purchase uh, so much directly. We uh, work through supply chain partners to source uh, hardware to the installers uh, that work on our platform. Most of the installers on our platform, if not all of them, uh, they, uh, they use existing sourcing uh, methods to purchase hardware. Uh, what we do is rather work on a whitelisting approach to make sure that the quality of the products that used, are used for us okay. is up to our standards. All right. So you have a whitelist for hardware components and your installers are only allowed from, from that according to the whitelist. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Okay. And we sell specifically on those products. When the customer comes into the shop, uh, he or she gets offered a specific panel, specific inverter, uh, based on what's suitable and most attractive solution for their home, and and that's what the installer needs to do or needs to use when they uh, when they realize that installation. Yeah. So, so how do you create that that whitelist? So it's kind of the central quality assurance part. Um, how how can I get as a manufacturer onto onto your whitelist? <laughs> well, that's a great question. We get approached now actually by uh, quite a few manufacturers who want to be on the whitelist uh, because our volumes are growing. Uh -huh. um, we try to uh, focus on uh, a few aspects. So one is obviously the quality. Uh, we need to make sure that those products meet you know, the quality standards, uh, mm -hmm. the appropriate certifications, they uh, have the appropriate uh, you know, technology and technical uh, specs. So that's obviously one part of it. Um, another part of it is the, um, 
is the bankability of the manufacturer. It's quite important for us to use manufacturers that will survive, that will be around uh, to you know, meet their warranty obligations if something uh, does go wrong. Um, uh, and we work also on sustainability to make sure that the products that we offer meet some basic uh, sustainability requirements such as uh, carbon footprint and and uh, su sustainability in their uh, labor conditions for the workforce. Uh -huh. For the for the quality part, do you have your own test or do you rely on, uh, let's say, the, the, the classic like a uh, TÜV Rhineland or I don't know, DNV GL uh, certification or? Yeah, it's the, la it's the latter. We don't do, we don't currently do any own testing. We've been actually experimenting a little bit about with this also on like um, uh, testing samples from shipments, but uh, but at the end of the day, what scales is to rely on, you know, reputable players certifying the products. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, do, do you see any quality issues at this point with um, in solar? So is there, are there, or what are the major issues if there are any for, for those hardware components? I think as long as you use the right products with, from the right manufacturers, uh, it's relatively small uh, quality issues. The callback rates are super low, uh, very, very few issues, if any. I think the ones, the issues that we can observe from time to time are more related to handling and ship, shipping of uh, products to, uh, uh, to site. Uh, mm -hmm. There's still quite some learning that needs to be done throughout the value chain on Uh, how to how to handle uh, panels in particular yeah um, but other than that it's it's uh, it's quite good yeah okay so bankability maybe for, uh, maybe you can uh, explain that a little bit to the not so established uh, listener uh, absolutely so, um, yeah. yeah portion of the sales that we do are now leasing sales that means that uh, Uh, our leasing entity owns uh, the installations uh, and uh, we're rolling this out in more and more markets and you know, we're going to have thousands already. We have more than uh, a few thousand uh, leasing uh, assets out there and going to be more and more. Um, of course, the returns of those leasing uh, contracts with and customers relies on those solar installations uh, working throughout the leasing period. Yeah. Uh, And that means that if something goes wrong, well, there might be a warranty claim that we manage on behalf uh, or towards the manufacturer. If that manufacturer is no longer, you know, in business, then that warranty <coughs> claim isn't, you know, it won't be addressed. So bankability is simply making sure that the company has, or the manufacturer has sufficient uh, financial um, solidity to, to, to be around for a while. Um, yeah. to meet their obligations on the warranties that they issue. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the typical uh, that maybe maybe I heard of bankability rating would be the Bloomberg tier one list. It's a typical uh, way that more commercial uh, scale uh, solar gets, uh, gets um, evaluated. Um, we use a combination of these third-party bankability uh, evaluations such as Bloomberg, such as the... Uh, PV Multitech uh, rating, and we also do some 
own assessments or looking into uh, profit and loss statements from the manufacturers, uh, looking okay. into you know how much of their revenue are they using on R and D, for instance, which is a typical metric of you know is there a long term prospect here? Okay, interesting. And uh, the third part, the sustainability part, is there a, are there a, let's say standardized uh, audits for for those for the solo products? Not really. Um, there are uh, there are some international standards on uh, and ISO certifications also on sustainability, but those are unfortunately not that well adopted uh, yet. Um, so, and I think, um, although I think this is becoming more and more uh, a topic, it still it's not super easy to find the carbon footprint evaluations of module manufacturers, for instance. Mm. Um, there are some available um, first and foremost towards the French market, but in general, I think there's a little bit of a lag here. Yeah. Uh, so that's something we we are looking forward to seeing environmental product declarations on modules, for instance, which is going to come more and more uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. So who's driving um, this this activity? Are, are there government bodies or NGOs or industrial um, associations who drive um, so standards for assistance? Yeah. yeah so much on the residential market. Um, I think you see this more on the uh, larger commercial or governmental tenders that there are sustainability uh, requirements uh, in those tenders. I think towards residential, there is not so much yet. And for us, it's a matter of, I mean, we, we certainly believe we're part of the solution for a greener and more um, you know, sustainable energy uh, production. And in order to to meet that as best as possible, we also have a moral uh, requirement on ourselves to make sure we use products that you know are manufactured sustainably. Yeah. And uh, do, do you have a like a set matrix at Otovo how you how you rate sustainability? So you look at the um, uh, the annual reports of your suppliers, or how, how would you how would you do that? As of today. Yeah, actually, we work with the manufacturers to make them document the uh, carbon footprints in their value chain. Uh, okay. And uh, sometimes they are able to do that properly. Uh, sometimes we need to use um, um, more, uh, how do you say, more reference numbers, uh, right? Where you typically, I mean, as you know, when you make a solar module, the biggest factor is the electricity consumption during the uh, during the ingot and wafering process uh, yeah. or the polysilicon ingot and wafering process and if you're able to get that documented then you can you know um, get quite far and sometimes you need to work more on reference numbers to to, to find a good assessment okay and uh, co2 footprint is that the only A factor for this regarding sustainability or are there any other factors right i mean there's lots of chemicals involved and um, sustainability is a is a wide term um no certainly i think there's uh, there's questions about waste handling uh there's questions about uh, water consumption uh, yeah. uh, but at the end of the day of course the global warming potential is the uh, most important 
factor at least. Yeah, excellent. So let's jump back a little bit to to the business part. You you mentioned you're leasing this the solar system. How, so if I had a house, uh, I where do I buy it from? Do I buy it from Otovo? The, the Otovo is my sells the solar system to me or absolutely so if you uh if you're a homeowner uh and currently we're in seven countries so norway sweden france spain italy poland and germany okay so if yeah. you're living in one of these countries you can go into the local otovo uh, website so otovo.de for instance in germany uh, enter your home uh, address uh, and we would provide a a live hot quote uh, to you uh, based on analysis of your roof. Um, uh, if that's something that uh, you find interesting, uh, you can continue the sales process to, with one of our sales agents. Uh, and we, we sign you the contract. Uh, either it's for a purchase where you pay for it yourself or, or, or get, a, get a loan uh, with a bank partner to finance it. Mm -hmm. Or you enter into a leasing agreement where... Uh, where you lease the system from from us on a fixed monthly uh, pay, but we own it um, and service it if it's needed. Okay, and um, interesting. So, what about the um, administration part? Right, I mean, at, at least in Germany, I think it's similar. Most possibly in in other countries, you need to apply for hookup to the grid and. Uh, um, there's tax issues, um, fat claims, uh, all sorts of nasty bits and pieces that you have to take care of, particularly for those residential systems where the effort is quite large in comparison to the uh, revenue you actually do with the, or the savings you, you actually do. That's true. And uh, uh, permitting is one of the things that drives the soft cost uh, up for residential, uh, depending on the market. Some markets more permitting friendly than, than others, but uh, both building permits, which is uh, necessary in many markets, such as uh, Spain, for instance, it's compulsory for all solar uh, installations and uh, grid connection permits, uh, which is often not handled by the same body that handles the building permits. Mm. Those things uh, take time and resources and, and uh, drives up the cost. So I think there's a lot of still, you know, in 2022, there's still a lot of room for improving and simplifying and homogenizing the permitting processes uh, yeah. throughout Europe. And uh, as Otovo, so, so, and this is one of the key um, benefits you bring in as Otovo that you have fixed that, right? So, uh, We take care, we of, take care of the customer. Uh, so if the customer purchased from us, we would take care of the permitting process uh, for him or on behalf of him. It's, it's a little bit different from market to market, uh, how that's structured. So some places, the customer is the one that has to apply for the building permit, yeah. uh, but you can do it on his or her behalf, getting, uh, you know, get their signatures on the, on the permitting uh, application. Yeah. And in other markets, it's something that we just manage for them and they don't even need to think about it at all. Uh -huh. So if I lease a system from you, um, is it like, does it end at some point and I can buy the system for uh, a euro after 20 years? or, um, or how? Yeah. That's how it is. So uh, a solar uh, installation has a lease period of, of 20 years. Okay. So after 20 years... Uh, And from market to market, there's a little bit different regulations on what needs to happen at the end of that lease period. But 
it's either a right of return, right? So if you don't want that <laughs> system anymore, you can come back with it. <laughs> <laughs> or, well, or you can... Uh, or Tor is still too young yeah, to, to find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or you can extend the lease for another, you know, five or 10 years if you want to, or, or, or you can purchase it for a symbolic sum uh, and take over the ownership. Uh, yeah. Of, of most most PV installations will continue to work, you know, a lot longer than 20 years. So. Yeah. So what's the ratio between buying, uh, funding and uh, leasing? Is, is there a, what's the most popular choice? Yeah. It's different from market to market. Um, okay. We don't reveal uh, leasing rate of, uh, of sales in all markets, but uh, I can say that um, uh, in some markets, it's more than 50% leasing, uh, whereas other markets, it's a very low portion of leasing so far. Um, okay. We're working on improving that uh, across the board. Yeah. So when you lease, you, you need a lot of, um, Otto needs a lot of uh, cash or somehow funding to, to provide that option. How, how do you do it? Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah. how did you get started in the beginning anyhow with, with uh, setting up the, running the company? And those two funding processes are quite different, I think, because so we established for the first question, I mean, we established a uh, asset co, so a company whose sole sort of purpose is to own uh, and lease uh, out uh, assets. Okay. Um, we established that a couple of years ago. Uh, it's called European Distributed Energy uh, Assets. That's the uh -huh. name of the company. Um, that was actually funded by um, equity uh, and loan. Um, mm -hmm. We very recently took that back in uh, to Otovos and now we're again uh, owning that company fully. Uh, but still a separate entity, I guess, for... It's still a separate entity, but it's now yeah. owned fully by Otovo. Uh, okay. And it's funded partially through, uh, through uh, equity and partially by loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that works quite well. I mean, then you have long-term, you know, financial institutes that see that, you know, the, the rate of return you can get on a solar lease is attracting on the longer term. Uh, so it's a good long-term funding uh, yeah. for banks. For okay, so the loan comes from banks or pension funds or who's... Exactly, yeah, exactly. Okay, and that part, I mean, is that publicly traded or is it like a... How do you do the, the funding and the, where does the equity come from, from the, from that asset uh, owner? So yeah, we spun out this company a couple of years ago by getting in long-term investors on the equity side, such as pension funds mm -hmm. uh, and other, uh, you know, uh, companies that uh, want long-term uh, returns. Yeah. Uh, now through the sort of, Uh, back buying of, of, of Adia into the Otovo family. Of course, Otovo is taking more of that equity now, uh, yeah. and increasing the, the part that is, uh, is funded by loans. Yeah. Okay. But and exactly uh, how we launch it's, it's, it's an interesting part of it because when we launched in 2016, we launched with the idea that leasing was an important part of the, of the offering. I mean, we have saw, seen what, uh, for instance, you know, um, Uh, Solar City uh, in the US was doing and now yeah. owned by Tesla. 
and see how the U.S. market, uh, one of the big factors in growing the U.S. residential market was the leasing offering. So that was mm-hmm. sort of the inspiration for us. And when we launched in 2016, we, we did that fully with leasing um, on our own balance sheet. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, when you think about it in retrospect, is a crazy thing to do for, <laughs> for a startup. <laughs> <Just that. laughs> But it was it was fun, uh, and then then that was fully uh, funded by our own savings and and uh, early investors into the company. Uh, oh wow! But, uh, okay, yeah, interesting, cool, and um, yeah. So so we going backwards to Otobo. So how did you? So who 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 are the founders of Otobo? How did you guys meet, and how did you finance the? I don't know. The first computer, um, the, <laughs> how did it all happen in the beginning? Yeah, so we're four guys who started uh, Otobo, uh, Andreas, Simon, Lars, uh, and myself. Um, uh, and uh, we got together a little bit by uh, Andreas, our CEO, um, sort of gathering the team that he wanted to start its uh, company together with. Uh, okay, so he casted a boy group. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, he found us through, you know, uh, his network and people he had uh, studied with or, or okay. knew from, from earlier. And, and uh, yeah, we got together as a team and, and uh, started this venture uh, together. And, you know, in the beginning, we were funded by a bit of our own savings. Um, yeah. But very, very quickly, uh, of course, went out and, and uh, took an hour for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to get, give us an idea. So, so he, Andreas called you once and then you met in a bar or how, how did it work? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, uh, Andreas called me out of the blue. I didn't know him from before uh, yeah. in 2015 one day. So I know a number and then you picked up and then... Exactly. I said, hey, I had this great idea for a solar company. Do you want to meet and discuss? Yeah. Uh, I was working as a consultant at that time and a management consultant and yeah. Uh, so I agreed to meet him. You know, I, I uh, he explained to me what he wanted to do. Uh, I quite quickly got you know hooked on the idea, and I think we didn't even get through the first beer until I told him that I'm I'm on board. So You're on board. <laughs> it was a pretty easy date for him, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and then soon later, you you met the other guys, or um... yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. We made a plan for the company and sort of hooked together what we wanted to do. And so sort of our approach to um, building a company has, um, has, at least in the beginning, been a lot about uh, doing, right? We do things and then we figure out how to do it uh, as we go in a way. Um, at least in the beginning, we didn't spend like uh, months and years thinking about what we need to do before we did it we we knew which direction we wanted to go uh, uh, and we sort of built the minimum uh, needed in order to to start going there and then just run right yeah so um so what what is the biggest learning particularly from that initial phase or maybe let's go from from today back to uh, back then in that to that initial beer what was the biggest learning for for um, maybe think of other listeners who think of building a company themselves. Yeah, I think um, we had the great idea when we started. I think with 
you know, the aspect of the online purchasing process for solar. Um, we had started thinking about the aspects of the marketplace, um, but we didn't sort of have the basics of that figured out. So um, it took us a while before we got to sort of the product market fit. Uh, I think in the first two years, we were um, maybe a little bit all over the place, you know, uh, okay. doing a little bit too many things, not focusing necessarily perfectly. Focus, okay, yeah. It would yeah. take us in the right direction. Um, so I think, like, focusing on your core idea, uh, something that uh, we learned as we go to be better at, you know, yeah. saying no to things, not jumping on all initiatives, accepting that there are market opportunities that you maybe don't want to address because there's something bigger uh, that you're trying to solve. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you need to at the same time, you need to try, right, to see what's, what is the biggest opportunity, right? And that's the balance, right? You have to find that good balance between the initial idea that you have is very seldom going to be the one that makes it at the end. Right? Yeah. Maybe part of it or portions of it uh, is still true, but uh but there's going to be things that happen during uh the process that uh, if not pivots you at least sort of nudges you in the right direction um so mm. you have to be open to new things and be sort of uh, jump and then figure out how to land afterwards um but the balance of course have to be there uh, your resources are scarce when you begin your funding is limited when you begin you very easily run out of uh, cash if you try to do too much uh, so I think uh, in retrospect, we probably tried to do a little bit too much in the beginning and, and took us uh, a little while before we had sort of figured out uh, the basics of the company and what it is that we uh, need to build in order to you know bring value to the table. Yeah. So uh, you started off with uh, four guys and how, how many people are now working at Otovo? We are about 250 people now. Oh, wow. Okay. From yeah. countries and growing every day. We're hiring uh, essentially in all markets and centrally uh, constantly. Um, mm. We're launching three new countries now relatively soon. Uh, so okay. We have gone up publicly and said we're going to launch uh, UK, Portugal, and Austria uh, now relatively soon. So we're on the ground and, and recruiting as we speak. Oh, so, so how do you how do you manage that growth? It's it's an an art by itself, right? Particularly when you not grow only in your home country, but as you go to different countries, um, um, IKEA I think is doing a great job, apparently at least, and they are, definitely they are super successful in uh, growing a company globally and kind of still maintaining the same company culture. Um, is, is that a topic for you? How, uh, I guess it is, right? How, how do you do it? Yeah. Do you take special measures? How to manage I that? I think this is, this is a, like, um, it's a management-wise uh, super interesting topic, I think. And for us, we have growth in two dimensions because we have growth growing the uh business of Otovo, right becoming more markets expanding mm -hmm. or growth in terms of expanding uh, but we also have growth within all the markets we're in right so each of the markets are 
relatively new and are going and building uh, their business and growing the market share and growing their teams. So sort of growth in both directions at the same time. Um, we, our approach has been to have uh, and learned to have focus on getting really good teams locally, uh, having super good general managers in each market, um, make sure they are set up to get talent uh, in their teams uh, because a lot of the things that needs to be done needs also to be figured out on the ground locally. Um, yeah. And then there is the balance of um, local autonomy uh, versus more central direction and central sort of standardization. Um, I think it needs to be a bit of a balance. Um, it's always good that you work in a similar fashion. You don't want to have sort of small uh, arms that go in directions you can't control uh, in all the markets. They need to work more or less in the same manner. You know, the basic value proposition towards the customer needs to be the same. Um, the types of systems and products we use are, you know, need to be uh, similar. Yeah. Uh, uh, culturally, it's, it's great if they sort of share the same uh, vision and approach that we do. <laughs> So that it doesn't become like a satellite, right? It needs to be integrated properly, but still yeah. given enough uh, uh, room to figure out uh, the things that makes a difference in their market. And um, for residential solar uh, in Europe, uh, the markets are not the same, right? There's different incentive schemes in almost all countries. Um, there are different customer preferences. The competitors are different. The regulatory requirements are Although within more or less the same framework, they're slightly different between markets. So things need to be adjusted to work locally. Uh, yeah. But you need to do that in an organization that scales in a way the same way uh, all over the place. So yeah. a blueprint, if you will. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, you, you mentioned the, the, of course, the, the choosing the right GM, general manager for, for local Uh, entity is is key. How, so how, what are the criteria? How, how do you do it? How do you choose? How do you find your GMs for for a new market like say Portugal? Yeah, yeah. we work with uh, we work with recruitment companies of finding people, and typically we and we have been fantastically successful at finding great talent as GMs in all our markets, coming yeah. from often coming from marketplace companies like uh, um, uh, electrical scooter companies like Lime, uh, from marketplaces like, um, uh, like BlaBlaCar, uh, like uh, Uber. Uh, we, get, we, we typically find talent in those type of, uh, of businesses and, and uh, find those. And, and they're all eager to join the Otovo journey. I think they see that what we're doing is, uh, it makes a difference. It's uh, interesting and, and, and meaningful uh venture uh, um, and i think we're on a quite uh, interesting path so i had great success in finding great people um, for our teams luckily excellent wonderful um my classic final question is um is uh what do you think needs to be done to to get solar to the next level so uh Is there anything you encounter at, at Otobo where you still see major blocks in, in um, rolling out solar or, or more on a global scale? What, what, yeah. What's on your mind 
for, for bringing solar to the next level? I would really like to see that um, uh, regulatory requirements and the permit uh, process requirements get simplified even more. I know that you know, many markets have worked quite well on this, but there still is a bit of a jungle of, of permitting uh, processes uh, needed. And um, it doesn't seem necessary in a way, if you will, because yeah. the systems that they install, they are, they're, they're quite standardized already. The components are standardized, the methods are relatively standardized, but we don't need that every municipality or every city has their own building regulation that limits how we need to do this. So I think that's one sort of thing to improve, um, make it easier for homeowners to to do that so that we can continue to lower the cost uh, and make the business case better. Yeah. Um, the other part, of course, is um, which is maybe more of a shorter term issue and can become a longer term issue is, you know, the markets are growing uh, and that puts strains on uh, installation capacity on supply chains. Uh, would like to see a lot more companies joining uh, the installation business, you know, in all the markets were constrained to a certain extent by installation capacity uh, and working very hard on growing installation capacity through finding new installers to helping the installers we do have um, scale up a bit. Um, and, um, and, and more installers is needed to, to grow the residential business uh, even further. All right, so it's a get rid of bureaucracy and we need more muscle to install the the uh, all the solar modules. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, if you're an installer company listening to this podcast, then uh, please do reach out and <laughs> give me a call and <laughs> talk to you about joining our platform. Yeah, excellent. Hey, Andreas, thanks a lot for taking us on your solar journey. Uh, thanks for giving the insights into Otobo. Um, all the best looks pretty good. Um, catch up, catch up soon and see how, how big October is in, let's say a year from now, two years from now. Thank you, Torsten. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Excellent. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.